Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into good movies with a bad Rotten Tomatoes score on today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? Rotten Tomatoes has become kind of the staple for people to uh, calculate how good a movie is, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, if a movie is fresh, if a movie is rotten, that becomes a very easy indicator in terms of explaining, you know, wide appeal. And over the years, it has grown more and more prominent. I think the first time I remember ever seeing it used in a commercial for a, for a trailer for a movie uh, was for Zootopia back two years ago so uh it's not you know it hasn't been around forever so you know movies that came out pre-2000 don't really have what you might call an accurate rotten tomatoes score uh you know those are films that only people like really going backward and, and watching them now are assessing and so, you know, you have that sort of skewed outlook. So for anything from before 2000, you know, you kind of have to take a lot of those ratings with a grain of salt. Because in most cases, uh, you end up with a lot of movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that just have 100%. And it's like 15 reviews. So, you know, it's not enough reviews to really be a strong assessment. But it is enough that you get a general idea. So it's even more vague than what Rotten Tomatoes really ends up being. And today's episode, I'm going to go into, I think I have uh, 13, no, 12 movies here uh, that I can, I've sorted by the biggest difference in my rating and the Rotten Tomatoes score that the film has right now. Uh, so, for example, some of the movies at the bottom of this list, so the movie with the greatest inverse of ratings or the movie that I rated lowest compared to its Rotten Tomato score is currently The Gods Must Be Crazy, uh, which is 88 points lower than its Rotten Tomato score on my spreadsheet. Uh, you also have Bahubali 2, The Conclusion, which is 84 points lower. Uh, Sergeant Stubby, which may its Rotten Tomato score may have changed in the, recently, but it's minus 81 points. Two or three things I know about her is minus 83 points. Um, Flirtation Walk, which I saw just a few days ago, is minus 74 points. Um, any other sort of real recognizable ones? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, minus 68 points. Precious, minus 68 points. Swiss Family Robinson, minus 68 points. Uh, Best Picture winner, Tom Jones, minus 67 points. Uh, so, if, if there's a lot more films that I've rated lower than the Rotten Tomato score, then I've rated higher. And if you add the difference across every single film, uh, excluding films that don't have a Rotten Tomato score, uh, on average, my, my number is seven points lower, on average. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's, what I'm that's what I mean. And, but this list is about the movies that I've rated higher. Uh, so basically, movies that a lot of people think are bad that I don't. 
so that's kind of where we're going. And we'll start at the bottom, we'll work our way up, and I'll see how much I remember about some of them. Some of them, it's been quite some time since I last saw the movie. Uh, but a couple of them, a couple of them are fairly recent. Uh, the only other criteria is that the movie has to have been rated a 60 or higher, with one exception. Uh, so it's not just I rate. So for example, there's a movie on here I rated a 44 that has a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, and while that's a pretty big step up, it's still a bad movie. So uh, I excluded movies rated below a certain point uh, to make this a little bit more exciting and enjoyable uh, so that being said let us start right now coming in at number 12 out of 12 at the moment um, is a film from 1999 uh, where my summary is two Irish brothers become vigilantes against corruption and that is the boondock saints Boondock Saints, uh, I rated it a 60. It has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is a difference of 40 points. Or <laughs> my rating is three times what Rotten Tomatoes score is. And I saw this a long time ago, back in 2012. Six years almost, about five and a half years, roughly. And I was a lot higher on this movie after first seeing it than I am now. Uh, so the rating was actually even higher before, but I've come down a little bit since then. I still think it's good. It's not great. Uh, the film is enjoyable, and I don't really understand all the hate. It's kind of developed sort of a cult following in the years since then. And I know I watched it in college with a friend, and it was... Um, he, that my my friend and I were also kind of like, well, there's nothing wrong with this. Like this is a perfectly fine movie. This is enjoyable. It's a lot of fun, and I think that I think that holds true. I I was not. I, it's a little cheesy, if I remember it correctly. It's a little cheesy, but it, it's still fun. You know, it's like half of the movies that The Rock makes. You know, they're cheesy and and silly, but there's still something inside them that makes them watchable and enjoyable and. I think there's a lot to that. It's uh, it's just a fun movie. It's it's very action oriented, very heavy on the uh, body count, as it were. But doesn't mean it's not. That doesn't detract from the film. You know, you've got some fantastic. Uh, it was um, Willem Dafoe. Fantastic Willem Dafoe in that movie. He he gives a great sort of hammy performance. And, I don't know, Boondock Saints is, is, I haven't seen the sequel, I fully expect the sequel to actually be bad, but I haven't seen it, and, I don't know, I just really, it, it's, I think out of all the movies on this list, it is heads, far and away, the film, I think a lot of people disagree with this consensus that I've seen, or spoken to, or read, and that is, uh, that make, makes sense to me. Uh, so, I gave Moondock Saints a 60. It has a 20 on Rotten Tomatoes. Difference of 40. And um, I think it's good. I think it's good. Uh, also, with a 40-point difference, is uh, a movie from 1993, uh, which 
I would describe, which I describe as a kid is transported into the world of a movie, and that is the last action hero, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is a film I rated uh, a 77. So I'm really high on this movie. It's got a 37 on Rotten Tomatoes. I I really liked Last Action Hero. Very meta. I'm a big fan of meta films in general, so it really scratched that itch. Uh, it's not perfect. It, it definitely could have said a lot more and done a lot more with its premise, but I thought what it did was really a lot for me. You know, it, it definitely presents you in this really fascinating uh, alternate reality, you know, where Stallone is the one who got all those parts and, and it's Schwarzenegger who's sort of the next next guy kind of, you know, the, the roles kind of swapped, and then the kid that they, you know, just the, the constant switching back and forth between reality and action movie, and movie world, I guess, is what you'd call it. Like, that's fascinating, and you, you end up with a lot of really clever, and, I don't know, it, it just, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I would say it's it's a lot more fun than, than sort of Boondock Saints. I think Boondock Saints is much more dramatic and the fun in that film is sort of the, the cheesy way it approaches the dramatic. Whereas Last Action Hero is just unabashed. Fun is trying to be fun, and it's succeeding. I think it's really good. And uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it in a while, I would say it's worth another look. Uh, it's kind of long. It's just over two hours, so it's not like a, a breezy watch like most of the movies on this list are going to be. But all that said, I think Last Action Hero deserves its spot as like kind of a classic action movie with a twist. And uh, the twist is interesting, you know. It's um, it's like uh, The Final Girls, which is a more recent film, which kind of does the same thing with horror. And I like that movie too. I think that's a good one. And this one is really good. Really good. Last Action Hero. I give it a 77. It's got a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. 40 point difference. Number 10 uh, is a movie with a 42 point difference. So we're starting to move up here. Uh, I gave it a 62. It has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. My summary, two teenagers living in their own shared universe deal with their sexual maturity. I watched this about a year ago and it's called Disco Pigs. Right. Uh, you probably haven't heard of Disco Pigs. Um, if I believe... If I'm remembering it correctly, uh, it stars Killian Murphy, who is fairly familiar, I would say, as playing Scarecrow in the Batman trilogy from Nolan. Uh, he was in Free Fire. He was in Sunshine, uh, Red Eye, Inception, Dunkirk, 28 Days Later. He's been all over the place. He's in Disco Pigs. It's a very dirty movie. Uh, and I, I don't mean, like, naughty. I mean, like filthy. Uh, it, it's a very grimy looking movie. It does not try to uh, aggrandize what it, its characters in any way. Uh, it's, it's from 2001. It's, it's British. Very British. And it's uh, it's a it's not an easy watch. It is a very kind of almost like Requiem for a Dream type of thing. It does not come anywhere near close to Requiem for a Dream, but that's that's kind of like what I would 
point you in the direction toward as far as similarities go, I suppose. And it's it's good. It, it's not great, but it, it does enough. You get a great performance out of Killian Murphy. And I think his co-star was Elaine Cassidy? That's the name that comes to mind, but that may be wrong. Uh, but he's he's great in it. Um, the performances are just very good across the board. And it's a, just a fascinating film from from sort of like a, you know, as someone who ne- didn't grow up in the UK, as someone who's, who's very far removed from that world and that lifestyle, you know, this is an interesting window into what it's like to have uh, grown up there and sort of come to maturity in that world. And uh, it's very different from what I knew. And... That I think that element of it on its own is is worth the worth the watch. It's very short. Uh, this one's less than an hour and a half long, so it's not going to kill you. But it's worth a look, I think, because you're going to get into sort of um, just a, just a different experience from you know the typical sort of teen romance, teen comedy movies that come out on our side of the pond. So that's Disco Pigs. I gave it a 62 as a 20% Rotten Tomatoes from 2001, and that's a difference of 42 points. Also, with a 42-point difference, is a film that this is kind of my go-to for movies I really liked that I still don't think are, like, the best and that I know a lot of people don't think are very good. Uh, I know I've talked about it on the show a couple of times in the past. It is a 2015 film, uh, which I call... which I summarize as a love potion causes turmoil and conflict in a magical forest and i gave it a 59 so this is the only film on this list that got got less than a 60 i had to include it on this list and uh, the rotten tomato score is a 17 so a 42 point difference and that's strange magic it's an animated musical that doesn't create its own songs it's you know it's like a uh, jukebox musical it was conceived by George Lucas uh, so it, it has that sort of a, fa- a fantasy element to it I mean not a fantasy element but it's a fantasy movie you know head first and it's got a strong voice cast uh, Alan Cumming uh, Evan Rachel Wood and and others Maya Rudolph um, those are the one, only ones I can remember offhand the songs are fun. I think the performances are interesting. You know, the animation's nothing to write home about. But it's not the most conventional plot in the world. And I think a lot of the reviewers had issue with, like, the music and uh, just, like, the silliness of it. And I bu- I, I was into that. I, you know, this is a guilty pleasure movie. Um, I, I've seen it twice. <laughs> I last saw it... Uh, March of 2016, I showed it to a friend of mine, uh, who probably didn't like it as much as me, but definitely, uh, wasn't, like, super negative on it, if I remember correctly. So, Strange Magic is a movie that I will consistently go to bat for as, like, as, it's fun, man, it's just fun. Uh, you know, I still listen to the soundtrack, like, on my phone, I have half of the songs on there, it's... Oh, uh, Kristen Chenoweth is in there. She has a gives a great performance of um, 
uh, what what song does she sing? Um, I can't remember. It's like Love is Magic or something like that. I think that might be it. I don't know. It's I don't know. She she sings and she does a great job at it because she's Kristen Chenoweth. Uh, Strange Magic. You know, if you're not into animated musicals, you know, clearly, then uh, don't watch it. But if you like musicals, then I would check it out. Because it's, it's not super, like, oriented toward kids, I don't think. It's got a lot of weirdness to it. You know, that George Lucas kind of uh, out-of-place distinctions that he kind of has. and At least that's how I, I kind of think of it. So, I don't know. Check it out. Check it out. It's it's good. I like it. Um, so that's Strange Magic. I gave it a 59. as has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. A 42-point difference. Next up uh, is a movie with a 45-point difference. Uh, so moving up a little bit more. This is another animated film. I gave it a 70. It has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. And summary is, the electronic world is in peril, and only a few kids and their Digimon can do anything about it. Uh, so that movie is Digimon, the movie, which I have seen 24 times. I have seen this movie a lot. It came out in 1999. I went and saw it in theaters with friends of mine uh, for my birthday, the year it came out. I'm guessing a lot of them didn't care for it, but I was super into it. Uh, I I think while they were both big, I was a much bigger fan of Digimon than I was of Pokemon as a show. Uh, obviously, you know, Digimon never really had the games that Pokemon did, and uh, the cards never really caught on either. But as a show, uh, I think Digimon is is better, and uh, I think it's it does tries to it does a lot a lot of, a lot of fascinating and interesting things that Pokemon. For all of its success, uh, didn't exactly reach and, and try to accomplish. That being said, um, this movie isn't exactly like a film film, and uh, you know it tries to stitch together these two to two two and a half to three different plots in the same way, and it does an okay job at that. Uh, you know, it doesn't get any points for that, but the individual segments I think are really fascinating. Uh, if you're not sort of well-versed on how what Digimon is and how it works, then the first half of this movie is probably going to be a lot less interesting than the second half. But, uh, you know, I because th I think the first half goes into a lot more technical elements of the uh, the digital world than, and, like, sort of the rules and things in place to utilize Digimon, all that kind of, it does, it has a lot more technical stuff involved, whereas I think the second half is just more like, if it feels good, it happens, kind of thing, and then that plays better to the general audience, in my opinion, but both sides, for me, are, are enjoyable, um, they take place at two, in two different time periods, uh, they are scary, I, the second the villain in both movie, both halves of this movie, which is different, um, but like they try to like work it out so that they are sort of 
coming from the same place. The Both of those villainous characters are scary. Uh, they were for me when I was younger. I mean, I don't think they're very scary anymore, but... And they're so different. You know, one is much... Is like spider-like and maniacal and, and sort of evil and has this really grating, deep voice that was real scary to me as a kid. Whereas the other one is this sort of giant, oafish, bunny-type character. And... Uh, Starts out oafish, ultimately becomes not so oafish, but, you know, much more, you know, like, evil than, like, maniacal to make that distinction. Uh, but for me, it was just a lot of fun, you know. I still remember the opening on the VHS cassette, which was um Len's cover of Kids in America, set to uh, a group of kids, like, going to see the Digimon movie, um... At a theater, like I remember that cartoon. It, it just, I don't know, it, it just really struck a chord with me. Uh, it's not the only movie on this list like this, as you'll see, there's another one coming up eventually. But I had so much fun with it. And if, if, if you ever, if you have any nostalgia for Digimon, if you ever watched the show or anything like that, I would check this out. It's fun, it, it'll be a throwback. But otherwise, yeah, this probably isn't for you. So that's Digimon the movie. I gave it a 70. It has a 25% Rotten Tomatoes for a 45% difference. All right. Uh, next up is a movie with a 46-point difference to the good. Uh, I gave it a 68. It has a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. It came out in 2010. And my summary is... After getting out of rehab, a country superstar tries to reclaim her fame, and this is the movie Country Strong. I've seen it twice, the most recent time being May of 2011. And uh, pretty much the biggest reason this is got this gets a positive rating for me is Gwyneth Paltrow. I think she's a she's great in the movie. I think she gives a really strong performance, both as the character and then as a singer, as a country singer in the movie. Uh, the movie definitely goes some places that I would call formulaic and filled with tropes. You've got, I think, um, Tim McGraw, I think. Is that the guy? I don't know. Tim McGraw, I think, plays the husband character, I want to say. And he is no, he's not great. Um, he's definitely not a good actor, but, uh, but the movie I had fun with, uh, this is one I think I may lower its score if I watched it now, uh, you know, I, I'm not, it's kind of, it, it was, it came, I saw it long before I really, I sort of gotten, got a lot more cynical and uh, judgy with my ratings, so this could easily have dropped, dropped like 10, 15 points or so on a rewatch. Not that I feel the need to ever rewatch it, but in my mind, in my memory, right now, it's still a 68. You know, I still loved, uh, I still love the the Gwyneth Paltrow of it all, and I think she does a great job in it. And uh, I had a ton of fun with it. It's a good movie to me, <laughs> if not to everybody else. So. Country Strong. You're getting exactly what you expect. You know, rehab, country superstar, 
trying to reclaim her fame. Yeah, that's exactly what this movie is. There's no nothing hiding in there. Not nothing at all. Also, uh, with a 46 point increase over its Rotten Tomato score, is a movie from 2014. Uh, which I summarize as a screenwriter becomes motivated to write after meeting a beautiful woman. I gave it a 61. It is a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's Playing It Cool, also known as a mini splintered thing. This is one I really have to look up because I don't remember anything about it. Um, playing It Cool. So this stars Chris Evans, Michelle Monaghan, Aubrey Plaza, Ian Grifford, Martin Starr, Ashley Tisdale, Patrick Warburton, Topher Grace, Anthony Mackie, Luke Wilson, uh, Philip Baker Hall. It has a huge cast. All right, a huge cast. And uh, I, man, you know, considering I saw this only three years ago, I don't remember anything about it. Um, looking at a more detailed description, the story of a young man disillusioned by love who meets a breathtaking young woman at a charity dinner by pretending to be a philanthropist. Turns out that she's engaged to a guy who doesn't like her going on dates. Challenged by the chase and egged on by his eclectic friends, he feigns a platonic relationship in order to keep seeing her as he tries to conquer her heart. Yeah, that sounds awful. I don't know why I like that. <laughs> I don't know why I like this movie. Uh, this could be a case of another movie that deserves a lower rating than it actually got. Uh, I think my trying to kind of read between the lines here feels like I most likely enjoyed this movie because of the chemistry between the characters, the performances, the fun, the subplot of it being, you know, this guy trying to get in out kind of like utilize what we would consider the friend zone to get in a woman's pants is awful and ugly and disgusting and I would not advocate for that in the least so maybe don't watch this one and maybe I will reassess things going forward but that's playing it cool a many splintered thing which even if I do end up adjusting where it's rated it is still better than the Rotten Tomato score indicates it's definitely not a 15. So that's a 46-point difference. Uh, moving on, we have a movie with a 47-point difference. Uh, and that's my number 5. So top 5 here. And uh, all these movies have been in the 40s. Uh, there are 3 movies that are that exceed a 40... That are, up at the, are at 50 points or more. Um, so... There's, there's definitely, a, you know, this isn't, they're not just all grouped together. There's some big moves later on. Number five, though, with a 49, 47 point difference, I gave it a 69%. It has a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is a film from 1994 that I last saw in 2009. So I don't even know the exact date. It was before the spreadsheet. I've seen it 11 times. And my summary is a small band attempting to make the big time and get a record deal, holds a radio station at gunpoint. If you've seen it, you probably know by that summary, but it's a movie called Airheads. Uh, it stars Adam Sandler, Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, among others. It is a pretty much single location movie uh, where those three guys are part of a band, 
and they are holding the radio station hostage in order to get a record deal. Pretty straightforward. It's pretty silly. It's, I think, funny. It's, you know, it's not a Adam Sandler is a, in the lead role movie. You know, he is the relegated to a secondary, if not tertiary character in the movie, which I think benefits. Brendan Fraser is your lead. You've got uh, Kramer in this movie as, like, an FBI uh, inside man, which is hilarious. Uh, uh, you've got... I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting sort of hostage movie because they don't obviously want to kill anybody. Uh, you know, it turned... They, this is kind of early on in the movie, but the guns aren't even real. The guns are, like, filled with Tabasco sauce. So they're real, nobody's really ever in danger that way. And it, it just kind of is absurd, you know? It's It's everyone rallies around them like the cops are outside but like the crowd gathers and everyone rallies around them they play their music on the radio uh it's 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 strange and it's a definitely a 90s movie and i think it ends it ends up being silly and it has some heart to it i think you know you get a couple of actual performances of the music toward the end of the film that i really enjoyed I don't know. It's it's a it's not it's not going to be a dramatic masterpiece, but it's it's definitely a mind-numbing comedy that you can turn your brain off, enjoy it, and uh, it'll it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be nice. It'll be it'll be interesting. You'll you'll have some fun with it, guys. Just uh, if you've never heard of it, if you've never considered it, give it a second look. It, it's it's stupid, but it's it's a good stupid. Is, I guess, the best way for me to put it. Good stupid. Uh, number four is a movie that has a 49-point differential between my rating and the Rotten Tomato score. With a Rotten Tomato score of 12%, I gave it a 4, 61. Uh, it's a 1998 film that I last saw July of 2016. My summary is a spaceship is found on the bottom of the ocean. And the movie is sphere so sphere uh starring I believe dustin hoffman is kind of critically panned 12 percent, really bad really really bad one of the lowest score the second lowest uh rotten tomato score of the movies that we're gonna i'm gonna talk about today and uh i didn't i don't know i just it's not the best, <laughs> um, it, it certainly, you know, has its flaws, it, it's a little silly, uh, you know, Barry Levinson directed it, but there's a movie, um, that I think it gets a lot of comparison to, that, I think The Abyss, James Cameron's The Abyss, I think they, compa I think, you know, it's one of those, um, if I can find The Abyss, Like the abyss came out almost ten years before Sphere, so they can't. There's a lot of time between the two movies, but they are similar in a, in a in a couple ways. Not a lot. There's definitely some big differences between the two films, but Sphere is an interesting underwater sort of space-like movie that doesn't need aliens. Uh, it, it's it's 
far more, you know, it, it relies on the characters, it relies on just uh, the relationships between them, if I'm remembering it correctly. And I thought it was, I thought it did a good job of that. You know, Barry Levinson is certainly hit or miss. Uh, you know, I, I've seen quite a few good movies from him. Uh, you know, Diner, Rain Man, Good Morning Vietnam, Wag the Dog, some really good movies. But, uh, you know, he's had some bad ones. Man of the Year, What Just Happened, uh, The Humbling. You know, it's it's kind of 50-50. And for me, this one just just on the, the right side of, of his filmography. So, if you like some of his movies and you haven't seen Sphere, if you like Rain Man, Good Morning Vietnam, Wag the Dog, um, Diner, uh, I would check it out. It's got the same sensibilities. It's got the same approach to to film and and sort of character and and all in a good in a good way it's all positive stuff and it's not you know it's not even one of the best movies on this list that i'm i'm presenting you know it's on par with uh say disco pigs you know they're both fine you know none of these there's only one movie on this list that i would like you know, I would advocate, you know, is, is great. And this is not, this is not it. <laughs> it's not Sphere. So, you know, I'm not trying to tell you that it's going to, you know, become your favorite movie, but it's a decent watch. It's about two hours long. It's a little sci-fi. It's a little, little underwater. It's a little, um, sort of, dra- it's a little dramatic, a little character motivated. It's, it's, it's got some stuff in it, and it's 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 definitely worth the time. It's worth the investment. So that's Sphere. I gave it a 61. It is a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Moving on to the top three. Uh, we've got number three with a 50-point difference. So half of its score, or half of the potential points it got are better than... Never mind. Ignore that. I gave it a 64. It has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is from 1999. I've seen this movie 10 times. And the last time was October of 2013. My summary. A science experiment goes wrong, and the creation seeks to destroy the world. Uh, Any guesses? All right, the movie is Pokemon, the first movie, colon, Mewtwo versus Mew. This is another one I remember seeing in theaters. This is another one uh, that it goes hand-in-hand hand with Digimon the movie. They both came out the same year. Uh, Pokemon got a, got a worse Rotten Tomato score. Uh, I think it's a little bit weaker, but it has an incredibly emotional moment in the movie. It's a actual cohesive film unlike Digimon the movie in a lot of ways. You know, it's one particular narrative thread. It does not have to, like, reevaluate any of the show at all. You get the narrator. It just... it, it, it The narrator who throws you back to the TV show itself, and you get to see some of the most powerful Pokemon in the game, in the world, and they fight, and there's great stuff in it the ending with um brother my brother playing over the over everyone kind of crying and ash turning to stone like 
that scene still gets me thinking about it. it it's 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 rough. You get Team Rocket in, infiltrating Mewtwo's home base, and the sort of "Who's that Pokemon?" moment, which is silly. It has a good message, you know. Uh, it's it's you know it's about equality and you know represent representation and understanding and and sort of acknowledgement that of of um you know there are differences in people but like the fake meowth says uh it's it's you know they're all under the same sky and that makes everyone on the same level so you know it, it's it's an it's a fun little movie uh, it has a short film in front of it, uh, which is, oh, I can't remember the name of the short film in front of it, but it's like all the, po- no spoken li- no spoken words except for Meowth, who's there, because it's just Pokemon, and it's cute and silly, and, you know, it's Pokemon, you know, you, you know, you've either seen it, or you have no interest in seeing it, in my opinion. It's the only good Pokemon movie that I can think of. I've seen, I think, five or six of them. So, all the ones after this are bad. But this one is good. This one's actually good. It's, it's got some stuff in it. It's, it's a fun movie. Fun watch. For Pokemon lovers. That's it. Um, Alright. Uh, we're going to jump up real high now to a movie with a 65 point difference. That's right. 65 points. Uh, it's Rotten Tomato score is a 0 and I gave it a 65. This is the only movie on this list that came out before 1990, and it's from 1952. So again, Rotten Tomato score with a grain of salt here. Uh, it's My summary is a washed-up movie star tries to make a comeback. I watched this movie like two weeks ago. Very fresh. And it's called The Star. It stars Betty Davis. She is a washed-up movie star trying to make a comeback. And... Uh, it's good. Like, Betty Davis gives a good performance in this. I don't know why it has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. It probably doesn't have many reviews. You know, maybe five or so. But, like, this is, you know, you can look on Letterboxd. I think it's one of the, probably one of the best reviewed movies of the ones I've talked about on Letterboxd. And, you know, there are a lot of people on Letterboxd that are like, this is a hidden gem. And... I don't know about that, you know, this isn't, like, if I'm going to ask, tell you to watch a Betty Davis movie, I would not start with this one, it might not be in the top 10 Betty Davis movies, honestly, but it is definitely not a bad movie, which is the whole point of this, it is a good movie, it does good things with its premise, with its, uh, you know, Betty Davis is one of the best actors ever. Uh, and this is another movie where she kind of shows that. She is taking on a role that, to be honest, she's kind of played this sort of role in the past and in the future relative to when this movie came out. So that side of it is not exactly new. But it's, again, you know, she's cap- she's skilled and uh, talented enough to twist this performance in enough in enough of a direction where it's not identical to these roles you know she gives it enough of a an adjustment where you can safely you know watch this and not say oh it's just her in 
whatever. It's, oh, it's just her and that thing or this thing. It's not. It's just Betty Davis in The Star. That is exactly what it is. Uh, she is... You know, I, I would compare this to some another movie that I would compare this to that's definitely better than The Star, but is similar, would be something like, um, oh, the Asias movie with Kristen Stewart in it, that I can't think of right now. What is that? I'm going to look it up. It's um, Clouds of Sils Maria, I think, is a similar film. In a lot of ways, because uh, there you have Juliette Binoche, Binoche, who is older actor, who is now being cast as the older character in a play that she had done, played the younger character in, etc., etc. Um, in this, you know, Betty Davis, she's not as old, you know, and it's the '50s, so you didn't so. Back then, you know, women particularly kind of aged out of acting a lot earlier than they do now. Although, in my opinion, no one really ages out of acting. It's just studios stop producing the better, their good good roles for them as much, which is a shame. Uh, but in this, you know, Betty Davis is like, I don't know, like in her 30s, if that. When was Betty Davis born? Da, 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 da. Uh, she was 44 when this movie came out, uh, so, you know, early 40s, definitely not even at all past her prime, so I, I don't really understand the hate, I don't know, it's not, it's, it's, it's in your face, it's over the top, but Betty Davis is wonderful, and there's a great scene where she gets a role and uh, she fights with the director over how to play her character, and that is that scene is kind of worth it to watch this movie. That scene is totally totally worth it. So that's the star, 1952. I give it a 65. It has a zero percent. All right. So our our number one movie is definitely a uh, guilty pleasure movie of mine, but in the best ways possible. It is. One of the few Guilty Pleasure movies that has retained a very high rating on the spreadsheet for now. With a 73-point difference, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 17, and my rating is a 90. Uh, so not only is it very high, it is, you know, it's within like my top 700 movies, give or take. Um, or maybe 500, it's probably within my top 500 movies. It is a 2003 film. It's about an hour and a half long. I've seen it four times, the last time being March 2012. My summary, multiple stories interchange when three bank workers plan to rob their workplace. Those three bank workers are not working together, uh, to add a little bit of explanation there. And the movie is called Scorched, and I've seen it like on Rotten Tomatoes. It, has, it goes by a different name, like a Spanish name, for whatever reason. Uh, but Scorched, it stars uh, John Cleese, as well as Alicia Silverstone, Rachel Lee Cook, Woody Harrelson, David Crumholtz, Joshua Leonard, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, and others. And, you know, it's got a 2.8 on, on Letterboxd, and 
90 is equivalent to a four and a half for me, so I'm definitely way above the uh, the average on this one, and that's fine. I, I you know I watched this when I was young, um, probably only a couple of years after it came out. I remember watching it with my cousin. There was one scene where. Uh, I think John Cleese, John Cleese, so John Cleese has a dog in the movie, and the dog's collar has a key on it that I think unlocks the safe in his house, and uh, you know, I forget exactly the con- the context of this moment, but there's a point where he threatens the dog with a gun, which I would normally be very upset by because I love dogs and I don't want anything to ever hurt them ever, but it's John Cleese, who's hilarious, and just the the scene in and of itself is brilliantly funny, in my opinion. The constant, like, people tripping over each other aspect of this film is fun. I, I'm, I'm partial to, like, multiple storyline threads and having them intersect and constantly be distraught, uh, not disturbed, um, um... I don't know, just just getting in each other's way. I like that a lot. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's it, it, I would compare it to um, Airheads. I think it's a better Airheads. Like it's the same sort of comedy. It's it's dumb. It's silly. It's not gonna beat you over the head with dramatic stuff. Uh, any attempt to create three-dimensional characters generally doesn't work, but I watch this and I just can't stop laughing. I think it's hilarious from start to finish, and uh, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. So, Scorched, directed by Gavin Grazer. I don't know if he's directed anything else I've seen. Hasn't. Hasn't actually directed anything else. He is the brother of Oscar winner Brian Grazer. Uh, yeah. So, Scorched. Uh, for comparison, on IMDb, it has a score of a 6. It is a comedy crime movie. And... Yeah. Three mischievous employees of a bank in a small, deserted town... All make plans to rob at the same time. However, none of them knows about each other's plans. Meanwhile, a clothing store employee has plans for revenge against the local millionaire. There's a lot of going on, a lot going on in this movie. But I think it juggles things pretty well. But this is probably another one due for a rewatch uh, to see if it still holds up. But it just, I don't know. I remember it. It's really funny, and I like it. So Scorched. This is the best-rated film out of the ones I talked about, in my opinion. Uh, it's the only one I would say check it out regardless. It's also like an hour and a half long. It's silly. It's not going to break your head trying to watch it. It's not going to... It's not a heavy watch. It's a very easy and light, light movie. So I advocate for it. So that's Scorched. Um, number one, 73-point difference. So, like I mentioned early on in the beginning, at just a 73-point difference, there are uh, five movies on the opposite end of this scale that have a 
greater than 73 point difference the opposite direction. And so, and like there are only five, three movies with a 50 or more on the positive side, but there are 110 movies with a 50 or more difference on the other side of things. Uh, and on that side of the scale, it's a lot more old movies that have like very high Rotten Tomato scores because they're old. So there is that. But that's today's episode. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to this. Hopefully, uh, either I talked about a movie you remember seeing and you actually liked it and good, or maybe one of these struck your fancy. You're going to check it out. Also interesting. Uh, but um, if you have any movies that obviously not everyone has all their movie ratings compared to what Rotten Tomatoes score said, but if there's any movies that you've seen that you think are good, really good, great, amazing, and you know that the consensus is not as, uh, not as favorable, um, let me know. Uh, you can, uh, tweet at me, at Circle of Film, uh, email circleoffilm at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear about them. I may have seen some of them, or might discover some of them. You can also check out the website, circlefilm.com, for past episodes, uh, couple, uh, reviews, things like that, all that stuff over on the website. Or you can support the show, patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Check it out. Thank you so much, and as always, have a week. So long, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.